Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone and welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar and I'm your host as always. And this week I'm joined by two of my very favourite Heart and Hand team members. First of all, it's the bus convener himself, Andy McGowan. Hi David. Hi folks. Hope we're all well. Now, I bet you never thought that your bus convening expertise would be the reason that you would be invited on to, to one of the shows. But this week uh, we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to be racking your brain here a little bit, Andy. Don't rack too hard, mate. <laughs> and uh, bringing our tactical nuances is the man who was told by Stephen Gerrard at a press conference this week that tactics don't matter. It's Adam Thornton. Yeah, a bit of a blow, I won't lie. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, recovered from having your old belief system turned upside down. <laughs> yes, I think the last three years have been a sham, frankly, but I'm, uh, I'm over it and I'm, I'm willing to get back on the horse. To, to know some... <laughs> When I heard that, I laughed so much it was it was actually quite painful. I think that seems very unfair of you, Andy. It, it, no pr- it, I was in the room at the time and I had to bite my lip, so I, I definitely, <laughs> uh, I definitely understand. But I've been uh, sent after- that. Um, I've been sent that Ralph Ralph Wiggum Ralph Wiggum Simpsons gif more times than I would like to remember. It was uh, after the Alice Kirk game, folks, which is the angriest I've ever seen Stephen Gerrard in a press conference. Um, and Adam was just asking about some of the tactics for the match and the manager just cut across him and went, it's not about tactics. They know what they're supposed to do. They just didn't do it in the first half. So um, I'm sure if you got if you got him yesterday, he was in a very good mood. After I've seen that. Was, that was that yeah. was really nice. I was really happy for you and Martin. Yeah, considering yeah, was- the last thing. <laughs> The last thing you said to me before we went into the press room was, mind and ask a tactical question. I, was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know, did 
that I like you savaged me before and it's not very pleasant, I can assure you. But we'll be getting to Ross County, the actual match, uh, in a minute. But before we do, uh, there was an incident on a bus that was travelling to the game yesterday where the supporters were singing a racist song about uh, the Celtic attacker Furahashi. Um, subsequently, the, the clip was shared, posted, was picked up online. Uh, the uh, Rangers announced yesterday that they would have an investigation into, and today announced the results of that investigation, that the supporters who were singing the song had been banned from the club for life and that the supporters bus, uh, well, the supporters, the RAC, rather, supporters club, will no longer receive away tickets for the match. Now, Andy, you, you run a supporters bus. Uh, we joke about how harsh you are on it, but is this perhaps the reason why conveners have got to be uh, so tough on on a bus because when drink is taken people egging each other on young guys etc it's potentially a recipe for trouble on a long journey ah you know we laugh and joke about my boss and and it's nowhere near as bad as it's made out to be but there is a there is a there is a halfway house that has to be reached because the these kind of things that happen on supporters buses, they then happen on the terrace. And then and before we know it, we've got an away support singing that song. Mm. And that would have been a lot worse than three, four individuals on a bus on Snapchat. So I think there's a lot of things that play here. There. I'm not going to bore everybody to tears about the dynamics of being a bus convener, but there is a responsibility in every single Rangers fan, never mind every single Rangers supporters club, that we are held to a higher scrutiny. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But by the same token, um, post Camara, uh, I think we need to have a wee bit of a self-analysis because after that, we had a taste of what it's like to be on the other end of very unsavoury um, incidents. And we, I think we all felt in our heart how sorry we felt for, for Glenn Camara when we saw that. And I think we've got to understand that some people look at Rangers and think, you know, well, UEFA do us, and technically it's called racism. That's what they're doing for doing us for when, when we get fined or when we get the, the partial closure. It was for, in inverted commas, racism. So we've got to have a look at ourselves in terms of what we do and how we act. I don't think for one second that our support actually has a bigger um, per, per capita problem than any other big club in the world, right? I think, I think actually... I think actually that's pretty bloody good when you look at the demographic and, and the kind of the situation overall. But we'll never get a pat in the back for it and it's never perfect. That that incident yesterday on the bus, Rangers had to do something. I, my, my first instinct was, well, why should the RSC be punished? Because I put myself in that position. If I'd been somebody in my boss, am I meant to go up and chin them? Cause a See, fight. That's that's something that's been that that's something that's been mentioned that it's about RSCs and everybody self policing, and while that's great in theory, I'm thinking if I was on that bus, I don't drink. I'd be sitting, you know, with my headphones on. Am I going to go up and challenge them and and risk four or five guys giving me a kicking? I'd like to think I'd be morally strong enough, but the reality is I probably wouldn't. No, um, and that's something that when you get into collective punishments, that's a bit of a a worry for people who haven't done anything. Against that, I suppose, the argument is then that this will set a precedent and the club has been used, if you like, as an example of what won't be tolerated. So, so I've had that very acid test and run my own club. I took the club, without getting a massive story, I went into that club, um, took it over for the previous guy and there was a couple of 
people pushing envelope, let's say, and I'm no Reggie Cray, right? I'm no going to go up and physically intimidate to shut up, but I had to breach that. I had to actually make that clear to these people, listen, you can't do that, you're not coming back in the bus. And they tested it again, and I had to tell them they were taking back in the bus. And let me tell you, it got a bit tasty. And at one point, I thought, I, I'm, I can't bother this hassle, this aggravation. But it worked, and in the longer term, the rest of the bus stood with me. And, you know, you, you find your level. The people that don't want to be there don't stay. So every bus is different. If that guy, somebody's told me he was on the committee. If, if he was on the committee, then that means that the tone of that club is of a certain nature. And probably they've had their just desserts, as, as much as that pains me to see that for a, a fellow Rangers supporter. Something had to be done because we can, we just, as a club, cannot afford to have people pull us down. And anybody that's left in the Rangers support that doesn't know which way the wind is blowing in, in regard to these kind of um, the, the climate, I think, you know, time's up. They, they really need to get a grip. And this should change the nature of discourse for the supporters because I don't think any, I, I, in fact, I know for a fact of the supporters clubs today messaging on our group chat, on our Facebook, whatever it is, they communicate with their members saying, do not fucking film anything. Better still, don't be doing it. And therefore, you stop it happening in the support buses, you stop it happening in the terrace, and you've got a fighting chance of maintaining the reputation, and then we're not having to deal with things like this. Adam? No, I, I totally agree um, with, with everything that, that's been said. I commend the club for the, the quick um, statement coming out. Um, to, to condemn it, I, I think it is one of these things that is just so quick to um, have something uploaded. I, I don't understand personally. I, I feel like I'm talking like I, I'm 50 years old, but I don't understand that um, need to to share things online. Fundamentally, that shouldn't be happening at all, regardless of it's if it's in private um, on the bus or it's it's been shared to the public. So I think it's it's wrong, and any punishments that that come the way, as we've seen today, I think. Um, just need to be taken on on the chin, unfortunately. But I don't. Uh, I completely agree with what you said. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that's not a song that should be getting sung. It really is just that simple. Just don't do it, and then there won't be a problem in terms of we live in an age where everything that does get videoed. But if you're not singing songs you shouldn't be singing, there won't be a problem. But uh, hey, sorry, Andy, go on. No, I was just going to say, I mean, there is a bigger picture. That, so so these guys don't appear to be young 15, 16-year-olds that have had too much to drink. And there is a far, far wider topic of debate around cancel culture and social media and pylons and how things are reported, because there is always two sides to a story. And, and I'm, I'm quite, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts on that very subject in America. But in this instance, I cannot think of one other side of the story that mitigates for that and that's probably the problem the guys have got there's no defence for it it shouldn't be happening and they should they should know better and everybody will know better now and the end that's left exposed to this kind of stuff you, you really need defence and no excuse um, there does need to be I think though a, a trend towards rehabilitation for it I don't think there should be guys yeah. who, you know never ever allowed to you know pick up the strains of their lives because jobs will be lost and stuff um, and, and the argument is well you know they did that they'll take the, the punishment but as a society we're supposed to believe in rehabilitation education etc but anyway um wasn't a great start to the the week or the, the match day rather but the match day would would pick up when we started at adam um some changes to the side and 
a bit of a strange game, really, because I thought Rangers were excellent in spells, um, scored four goals, could easily have, uh, possibly could have doubled it and probably should have at least added two more to it. Uh, and yet the game was in the balance a lot longer than it had to be, thanks to two Ross County goals. Now, one was a penalty, that that's unfortunate, although it did come after a save uh, from Alan McGregor, so you know County had got in for that one, but the one in the first half was really the the one that annoyed them, and annoyed everybody. And I think that what what has been kind of obvious with the defence, which was so good last year, is that they aren't conceding a lot of chances, but the ones that are conceding do seem to be going in. Yeah, that goes back to um, a couple of years ago that was happening um, with us, the, the one big chance, if you like, we, we were conceding tended to, to go in. I think that might even be going as as far back as possibly the, the season before Gerard came in and maybe a wee bit into the season that his first season. Um, it's unfortunate. It's a terrible habit to have. Um, it was a strange game. I, I think that goal, my initial reaction was it was quite a fortuitous goal for, for County when you think the, the free kick that comes in is very, very high. Um, the guy makes a mess of that going in, in my opinion. But then when you see Ross Callahan kind of standing unmarked at the back post and he's able to go and get it. Um, by that point, the ball comes in. Uh, there's a couple of ricochets to save for McGregor and it falls, it falls to two county men in a row in the box and they get a shot on target and then they get the goal. I think that part of it comes down to just luck where the ball is going to where is the ball is going to drop. But I think we could do a better job of um, marking in the first instance to make sure that Ross Callahan can't get to that ball and then going out to close him to make sure he doesn't get the ball into the box. But um, it was a strange one. Yeah, um, it's probably one of my more obvious opinions, but I, I think it's funny how goals change the perception of of any performance it's almost like things get little things get completely invalidated by by two goals that we got early in the game I, I agree I thought we were better um we played up to Morelos a lot more he was he was very involved there were some slick passages of play um I don't think they were as slick as to say they were fantastic throughout um but that's where I, th- I think those two goals just cloud cloud the judgment um it, it can be a wee bit more of a maybe sloppy performance in some respects if we don't have those two goals but obviously getting them everybody's confidence is up and you're on the front foot etc so um it was an interesting one I'm not quite sure how to how to judge it it, it, it clearly feels like it was kind of end to end in that sense given it was 4-2 but I'm not sure it ever really was Andy you and I were at the game yesterday in the first half an hour. Rangers were, I thought, absolutely superb. It's dominant. There was a zip, a vibrancy about us that we haven't seen enough of this season. Arguably, we haven't really seen at all, maybe the first half against Infernland. But certainly in terms of uh, our attacking play, I just thought that, you know, you could see what Glenn Kamara brings aside. There was snap and everything that we did. It was sharp. We were playing through the middle yesterday rather than just endlessly going out wide and putting crosses and we were actually going through them and that's where our chances were coming from um and in that opening half an hour it was almost like wow they've remembered they're actually a really good team and it was it, it, it was great to see them even just a little thing like Joe Arrivo's goal is sensational but the fact he was even trying it that wasn't happening in previous matches mm-hmm. no and and coming out of the Malmo game after Dun United in the in the first half at Al Ashkert, the, the 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 comment I was making to everybody was we've stopped doing what we're good at, which was one twos round the box, taking men on, 
and committing defenders. And, and as you say, all we were doing was putting things out wide and hitting hope in the middle of the box. And yesterday, we were the exact opposite. We were doing the midfield three were the difference, right? Because I, I thought the first, we were playing some scintillant stuff, but even with that, if I'm being honest, I thought Hadji, Morelis and Kent weren't uh, full pale. I thought they were still a bit short in the first half in terms of their, their best. So it was heartening to see that we were still cutting through their defence, um, despite the A3 not being, you know, at top form. Aribo brought it. I think, um, I don't particularly like him playing midfield. I prefer him as one of the front three, to be honest with you. But um, I thought Davis was brilliant again. And Davis is the only guy that you can really say has brought the same standard for last season into this season. And every game he's played, he's setting the tempo for us. And Kamara is just exquisite. The, the beauty is in his simplicity. He's just fantastic in keeping the ball, the ball moving. And uh, he's just makes such a difference to our team. And the goals are brilliant. I thought that, again, Aribo, I want to see more for Hadji. So when I say Aribo brought it, Hadji's trying very, very hard. I cannot fault him for, for um, effort whatsoever. And I know you love him, David. I've I've still got a kind of fatherly question over him when I'm asking more of him. I want to see more for Yanis Hadji because I think he's capable of so much more. And I want to see him doing the kind of things that Kent last year. I'm not talking about beating men. I'm talking about having an impact on a game. He's a bit of a ghost, a bit of a ninja. Last year, he would, he would find pockets and come in the back post or, or get that killer pass. I think he's got a far more responsible uh, position this year. I think there's more on him as, a, as opposed to being the second or third uh, and most important attacker. I think he needs to become the most important attacker. I don't know if that's unfair. I mean, I'm interested to hear what you two think. Well, actually, I was going to ask, I'll, I'll start with Adam, but we'll come back to you on it, Andy. Is there a shout for saying that for what Andy's saying, and I agree with him, by the way, I think Hadji's talented enough, that him and Aribo should swap positions, really? that Aribo should be the one out in the wing and it should be Hadji who's at that central point where he can get on the ball more and maybe have the influence that Andy's describing. Yeah, 100%. That was what I was what I was just about to say. I, I think for me, I, I agree with, with what Andy and yourself say. I think Aribo is better in that kind of right-sided role. He can knit that wing together, connect with Morelos, connect with uh, whoever it is coming from deep and, and Tavernier. I think, I think he does that well. But I do. I, I like Hadji in the central midfield. You you look at him and you think it might not work, but he, he was like an absolute man possessed on Thursday night um, against Alaskirk when he when we went down to ten men and he came back. His defensive work, I think, has always been great. People don't really seem to give him or, or just assume the type of player he is. He maybe doesn't get the credit for that. But the way that he, he covers, the way that he, he positions himself when the opponents have got the ball, he wins the ball back a lot. Maybe not as much as Aribo might, but he, he certainly isn't bad at it. Um, I would like that. Uh, given what the manager said when uh, Janino Bacuña signed, he, he seemed to be indicating that he thought both Aribo and Hadji used the term hybrid players, which is probably just them, I would say, certainly in terms of midfield. But he seemed to be indicating that he would prefer both of them to play further forward and maybe Janino fill that role. But I think as far as the, the question, um, absolutely. I, I think what I've seen recently, Hadji can do um, a, a more suitable job in central midfield and I think Aribo further forward in that right side is where he's comfortable um, I think Aribo was good in this game good to, very good, um, fantastic goal obviously, what I would say is he, he kind of always seems to turn up against Ross County, I don't know how many goals that is he's, he's got, it seems to be a, an opposition that he likes and these type of games are perfect for him, um, I think it, particularly in central midfield, I'm not as big a fan 
um, when it gets into the bigger games. Um, but these type of games, having them in there as that kind of link player or breaking the rules player, as Gerard calls them, I think is, is perfect. It's a physicality thing, perhaps, Andy, in the manager's mind. I mean, because... Uh, Joe Aribo, is, he's, he's a huge guy. I mean, he really is. He's an athlete, but he's very, very big and strong and, and powerful guy. Uh, and he can tackle. We've, we've all seen him go in and win the ball. He doesn't, you know, dive dive in, but he's he's got a really good uh, ability to to come away with the ball. And the manager might look at Hadji, who is smaller, who is slighter. But as Adam said, really the one opportunity we've got to see him play there um, was against Alash Kerr. And, and I agree, I thought he was tremendous in that defensive side of the role as well. Now, the level of opposition does need to be taken into account, but the situation was a difficult one. And he said afterwards in the press conference, I'm on at the coaching staff all the time. I can play as a number eight. I can be in there and I can do that. Um, but but is it maybe that the manager just looks at the two of them and said, well, you know, in terms of if it's a battle in there, you can handle yourself and I'm not quite sure you can yet. If that's what you saying, I agree. I, I, I think Hadji, there's no question about his endeavour. And his and his desire, right? And that, that's a major thing because we've, we've had other players in the past that have had the ability and never had that. So, um, but I do think that there is a question mark over, and I don't want to say the rough and tumble because I'm talking about in Europe as well. He's just not strong enough if you really need it, and and that's something that I know he's working on because you can see in his physique. But sometimes you're either a tackler or no, and I'm not sitting here saying in the old Scottish tradition, oh, he can't tackle. But if you're a midfielder for Rangers, especially when you play a three behind a three, I think you need to have a bit of bite. And I think you need to have a prerequisite or a baseline level of winning the ball back. And, you know, maybe it's marking a bias, but I can't see Hadji ever being it. And if you really want to be archaic about it, Mikhailachenko was the same. The best player on the ball you could ever dream of, but he just never, ever, ever was going to be that... Um, to, to be able to match up against the majority of midfielders that he met in, t- in terms of that physical side. So um, I love Hadji. I think there's an absolute role for him. All I'm saying is I want to see him doing what Aribo's brought in uh, last season and, and certainly yesterday, which is where you change games yourself. You do something out of the ordinary and, and you you, are, you show that you are the match winner you, you, we all know you can be. There's a bit of headroom just now between what he's delivering and what he can deliver. And that's a, it's a good criticism. It's not a bad criticism. This is this is a question of my belief in him and him fulfilling it. I think there's a balance in that there. And it's, it's probably the same discussion around um, Roof and, and Kent, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Hadji has... Set up more goals last season than than Aribo did, yep. which I guess if you if you call that the primary um, the primary job in the team, it's maybe a bit simplistic. So when you think about it that way, maybe Aribo does come into games, I don't know, and tires the opposition out, stretches play, etc. And Hadji comes in and, and finishes it off, whether it's off the bench or or whatever. Um, so there is that side of it, and it's similar to Ruth and Kent when you compare Kent's industry, the fact he plays every single game, he's at it, he does this and he does that, and Ruth turns up and scores a goal and, and gets the headlines. Um, it's maybe a bit simplistic. Maybe it's OK that we've got those different type of players and maybe they can complement each other. But I would agree, I think I'm a big Hadji fan. I don't quite know whether there is a role for him as a number one pick in central midfield, but in the occasions that there's an opportunity there and the management see that his skill set is identified as something they want to go with in that game. I think he's shown more often than not that he, he probably can make a difference. In terms of importance to the team, and I'll start with you, Andy, 
Alfredo Morelos, three goals in his last three starts. Don't think he's he's hitting his best form yet. Something we could say about a lot of them, but his contribution, no matter what, to this Rangers team is just enormous. If we lose Morelos for whatever reason, selling him or injury, we it changes your team completely. Morelos knits the front six together, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think he's, he's that important. And you could have said that yesterday wasn't his best. He wasn't his best. And, and we've seen him on team times where he's not his best. But what he'll still do is, how many times you see him in a game hitting a crossfield pass, just switches the play, um, coming short, you know, running at channels. He's, he's a complete striker for me at this moment in time. He's added so much to his game since he first arrived. And when you take him out, you see... Um, We've seen Roof try to do it, we've seen Ant try to do it, we've seen Defoe try to do it, and none of them can do it anywhere near to what he can do it. And I, I, that's why if he goes, I think we've got to get a replacement. I don't think we've got a, a replacement because of the way we play. Now, that's when I'm talking about a front three, and I'm verging into your territory, Adam, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if we've got a front three, you've obviously got two, generally speaking, wide men, inverted commas. I'd like to see what happens when you play him as a front two with Roof and somebody behind him, whether that's Kent or Hadji, because I think that changes the way he has to play. That that knitting together doesn't become quite so important there. So, um, no, I, th- I thought yesterday he was in his best, but he's still integral to everything, everything we do. And when you've got a player like that that, that hits this kind of baseline level where you know he's going to be a seven or an eight every week and then he chips in with his goals, because let's face it, that's what he's judged upon, then... You know, he's indispensable for us, I, I, I really. And we've got a problem here because I've said to you guys, uh, if we don't sell him now, his price is just going to go down, you know, because as the contract goes down, the price goes down. And there is an argument that you just say, well, you know what, it costs that much to replace him. You hold him until he's in his last year and then you, you get whatever toppings you can get from him in his last year. And then you don't get into that Edward situation where you've got a player with one eye and a move and a, and a pre-contract in January. So it, it might be that we, we don't ever get this 20 million, 50 million for, for Reles and we actually just keep him as a player. But if we do that, we need to have it in the context, well, if we sold him, we'd probably need to spend a fair chunk of change to get anywhere close to what he's given us. Yeah, I don't think for the money we'd have to spend, we would get somebody who can do all the things he does for us. And another thing about yesterday, Adam, crucial goal when it came, really, because it was 3-1 that gave us the the breathing space we needed and and really kind of suggested to Ross County that it wouldn't be their day. But he'd missed a really good opportunity just before it. And... In previous seasons, when that happened, you could forget about him scoring. He would still contribute, but you could forget about him scoring because his head would go. Wasn't the case at all. Next chance comes up, lovely wee finish in the corner. At first, I thought maybe he'd sclaffed it, but when you see it back, it's actually a tremendous finish. It is. It's a wee bit behind him as well. Um, he capitalises on, what's I think, is it, is it Hadji or Davis that finds him on the edge of the box after a wee bit of a, a clearance? It's a lovely finish and it, it, it sums him up. That, that 60 seconds, essentially, he missed an easier chance when he was clean through and goal. Um, and then he scores that one. I, I'm I'm with you guys. I, I've changed my mind coming into this season. Um, obviously with this player trading model, I think most people were saying possibly Morelos and, and Kamara would be the the two that not by any stretch that anybody would want to go, but the two that maybe would fetch fetch the value. I, I don't know whether it's post Malmo panic, but for me, I don't think either of them are were in a position to to let either of them go. Um, unless we're into ridiculous money, which I don't. Really think is is forthcoming so uh, for me I'm looking at other options in terms of of uh, who we can who we can afford to to let go I don't think either either of them are so crucial 
to the way that we play. Um, the point about Morelos and Roof that Andy made is, is an interesting one. Um, they only actually played eight games together in the league last season. Um, it was about 500 minutes or so. So not a huge amount. Obviously, there was a wee bit of rotation and, and Roof was, was injured um, for a couple of spells. So they never actually played too much. But I, I agree. I think the, the two up top with, with Kent in behind that we did in, in both Celtic games at the end of last season. That's what I'd like to see a bit more of. Um, having two goal scorers on the pitch is, is something that we should always be doing. I understand the 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 benefit that Aribo or, or Hadji coming off the, the right-hand side or, or Scott Wright give to us, but for me, I, I want to see us go and, and dominate and I want to get both those both those goal scorers in, um, ideally with, with Kent in behind. And you've also got the added bonus as well there, that if you're playing a, a number 10 in behind, you're, you're arguably playing Hadji or Aribo in their, their preferred role if they were to get the nod as well. So um, that's before you even come to the guys on the bench that apparently are, are better suited to playing in a two, such as Sakala and Itten. So I did think we'd have seen that maybe now, really, over the last couple of games. I thought we might have seen something like that happen. Obviously, there's been a lot of, of disruption to the squad, but it's certainly something I'd like to see more of going forward. But see, we're seeing it at the end of games when they make substitutions. I think I might be Fairman and certainly um, yesterday when the substitutions were made, we ended up with that, with, with yeah. two up front. And I, I like it because they're two killers. I always, always talk about these killers. They're two players that you know if you put them in the right position they're going to kill teams. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to Ken or Hadji, but you don't have that. Morelis and, and, and uh, Roof, I think, are two deadly, deadly players. And it's it's an option that I agree, Adam. We should have that more settled in terms of being able to switch to it because I think it's still you would still class it as experimental apart from the two Celtic games, which is fairly specific. So I, I, I want to see both of them in the same team, but you have to give up something to do that. In terms of the defensive situation now, uh, Calvin Bassey's got the, the left-back slot at the moment. Borna Barisic, I think we would all agree, was shit out of form. Um, he was coming back from an injury. People remember at the Euros that, that he was struggling with injury, so it was maybe to be expected. Um, but that, that's been a change the manager has made. He's been swapping about, so far this season, goalkeepers, and he's been swapping about centre-halves, which is something that he's done really since he, since he arrived. Uh, and one of the things I get asked a lot is, at press conferences, why don't you ask him why does he pick a Balogun ahead of Hellander? I've asked him it twice over the last year, and other people have asked him it that I've heard, and the answer is always the same. It's always, Phil can't play every game. We need to manage his body and his minutes correctly, and that's why he'll bring in Liam Balogun. He likes Balogun in games that will dominate the ball, and he likes um, Balogun because he thinks he's a bit quicker when we're going to have the ball and maybe need to be dealt with on the break uh, is how the defending will be done. But, Adam, we haven't played the same back four and goalkeeper two games in a row so far this season. It's the age-old question then, are you better with stability or is it a case of saying, well, you know, yeah, we could have left Barisic in the side, but he's not playing well enough for that. Uh, yeah, we could leave Hellander in, but he'll come a cropper in a month or two if we do that. It's a tough situation to sort out. It's the same across the whole team, to be honest, in terms of that that flexibility from the top of my head. I think we've probably only played the same midfield twice or three times in the, what are we at now, seven games so far. Um, I think you're, you're talking about a maximum of, of three times as well for the forward line. It has been horrendously disrupted, um, and it's not an excuse by any account, but there's absolutely no way it doesn't have an impact when you think about the disruption of the summer, players coming back, 
all that stuff. Of course, it has an impact, and I think we, we see it in the defence. Um, obviously, I, I agree with the theory in terms of, of Balogun playing in those type of games and Hellander playing in the others. Personally, I don't think the overall package um, is good enough. I think I'd be willing to concede that Hellander may... You may not be able to play a slightly higher line because of Hellander. I, I think... Okay, that's fine, but Hellander is a much better defender. I feel more assured when he's there. So if I was choosing, I would be picking Hellander in nine out of ten of the games. Um, I understand we don't see a lot of the behind the scenes in terms of fitness and, and coaching and all that sort of stuff. There's many, many more decisions that we don't see. Um, I understand the theory, but regardless of all of that, Balogun just looks shit out of form. So um, while... That is the case, is there might be an opportunity to bring Hellander in in some of those games where ideally you might want to play Balogun and give him a rest. We could argue that's what's happening with Borna Barisic right now as well. Um, we don't know. Um, but regardless of what's happening, I think what we see um, is that teams are targeting that left-hand side. Um, mm. I think Bassi has great potential. I think we're kind of almost at the stage just now, a stage I don't really enjoy. Scott Wright gets it as well, where you're almost not allowed to even constructively criticise because they, they are the, the new darlings of the of the fan base, which is fine. I'd rather players, players were getting very, very positive um, reviews rather than people being overly critical, but I do think um, good teams will, will certainly target that Balogun and, and Bassey um, side defence def, um, in the defensive aspect. They are Good on the ball, great going forward. I think that could be seen as a wee bit of a an area for teams to to deal with. The flip side of that is that I don't think Barisic is has is playing to a level where where he deserves to take that slot as well. So again, maybe this is just one of these risks that we need to be aware of and and manage as best we can. It's nothing to do with tactics, Adam. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but no, it, it's an interesting point about, and you're right, teams are clearly uh, going at that side because obviously on the other side is Tav and Goldson, um, far stronger. But in an ideal world, Andy, I don't think anybody is arguing that if they're fitting in form, Hellander and Barisic are your, you know, by far the, the go-to guys. It's just a combination of factors that are making that impossible at the moment. Aye, but I mean, Barisic has been unfortunate. It, it was at the Euros and by and large, he was, he was injured for the full tournament. Effectively, and then he's never really had a proper pre-season, and we can see that in his in his play. I think he was hung out to dry against Malmo because we spoke earlier about the tactics that night. He, he was basically asked to run up and do that wing one night and try and get as many good balls into the box as he could against a, a very early adept defence. So, if you're talking to me about Bassey, I think he's got a lot of promise. I don't think he's a ready-made replacement just yet, but he will be benefiting for this wee run he's getting in the team, this wee bit of responsibility. But if, if you're telling me that there's a there's not a disparity in quality between the two, Barisic and Bassey, then we'll disagree. My my personal preference, and in a perfect world, I'd have Barisic on, on Thursday, get him back to a competent level and play him against Celtic on the Sunday. That's that's what I would want to happen. It'll not happen because I don't think we'll bring him in and play him two games in rapid succession. But for me... Nehan Mbassi, and I, lo- I actually love his style, and I think he's a great one for the future. I want Barisic back in as quickly as possible and nurse him back to form because he's, he's indispensable. Reports emerged yesterday morning uh, of Everton putting in a bid for Nathan Patterson, said to be around about £5 million, which, according to the record, Rangers were considering. Well, that isn't true. Rangers did receive a bid, but turned it down immediately and when Stephen Gerrard was asked by our own Martin Ramsey yesterday about it he said uh, you carry on with the jokes five million wow um, 
and just burst out laughing and said, every player's got a number, but that is so far away from Nathan Parsons. It's not true. Adam, if I'm Everton, I absolutely understand why they're trying to get in and get him now because five million quid for a guy who I think, and clearly they think, will be going for five or six times that in a couple of years. Um, so I, I totally get that. And it probably does say something about a club of Everton's finances, and they do have a lot of money, folks. A club of Everton's finances coming in and offering you five million quid for a guy who's played, what, a dozen dozen matches so far in his career? Yeah, um, it is a funny one because you think if it... I was going to say if it wasn't Parson, obviously it is, so you need to take that into context. But when you when you lay those facts down, someone who's played that number of, of games, five million pounds plus, I, I assume, or or there was it was rumored there was Champions League bonuses, and, and I would guess a pretty hefty sell-on fee as well. It kind of looks a little bit lucrative until you come back into the Rangers bubble and you think, oh, hang on a minute, as you said, it's not conceivable. It's conceivable that he could go for um, a lot more than that. Um, I, I thought I thought that was it was a it was a great question obviously and and the answer was was quite funny. Um, I'm not an expert on this one and and maybe maybe this is one more for for you and Andy but um, it would be interesting to see as far as the manager has said that that I think is our first official bid for a I don't know how official it is but that's certainly our first bid for a player um, this summer when we are a week away from from the end of the window if we have this funding gap I don't know how I don't know how crucial the need is to to sell a player. This summer, if it's just a want rather than a need in terms of getting that that rolling, I don't know. But um, if it gets to the last hours of the window, is there a is there a number that Everton could hit that maybe slight, maybe quite less than than we as fans would expect, maybe even what the club would want. But if there is no other bids, is is there a concern there? I don't know. I don't know what the the ins and outs of the finances are, but that's certainly one to monitor. Andy. What has become a very famous quote already by Southampton's CEO um, a week ago was he's never known a situation like this. There is no liquidity in the market. And said, so, you know, uh-huh. the, the big clubs are spending their 80, 90 million on one player, but that just stays among them. What's not happening in England are the 20, 30 million pound deals, which kind of uh-huh. grease up the whole market. Um, and Adam makes a good point. If we need to sell somebody, you can only sell who people want to buy. And we can look at Glenn Kamara and, and even Alfie and think, why had not nobody bidding for them? They would do so well in various leagues. But that's the reality of the situation. If Everton were to come back, and they'd have to more than double it, there's no doubt about that. But Adam's right that you then are, as a club, you're going, well, he's a guy that leaves who doesn't immediately damage the side, really, in terms of him leaving, because he's not a first pick, and it plugs this funding gap. Against that, there is the genuine worry, and a realistic one, I think, borne out by Stephen Gerrard, Steve Clark, and now Rafa Benitez, that this boy is incredibly special. Yeah, I'm going to say something that folk might not like. There's no guarantee is Nathan Parson. At this moment in time, there is no guarantee... And we only need to look at Alan Hutton. We sold Alan Hutton for what was then a lot of money. It was at nine million something like that, on the back of half a good season. And if we'd kept on him, would we have got more than that again? I, I think that's doubtful. So I'm, I'm making a bit of an, an equivalence there. But Nathan Parson, if he stays at Rangers, I think he'll be, forgive me for using his name, but it'll be another Kieran Tierney. I think that's what happened to him. Um, so when I say there's no guarantees, I think they will be a caraca, right? However, we don't know the truth of Rangers' positions because the only people that will know that are the guys that have been shoring it up, and that's the board of directors. 
And I think also generally in football, there's a bit of a denial amongst football fans because, because nobody's went to the wall or nobody's really seen any tangible impact of COVID. I think we both think everything's just the same as, as it is. And it's no, the market's totally different. We've benefited from it as well, but buying players for, for reduced fees like Hadji, even back then. So um, it depends on what we need as a club. If our board of directors are sitting there saying, well, you know, we've got an asset there and I'd rather keep them than sell them for 10 million or 12 million or whatever that golden number is, then he'll stay a Rangers player. If, if we do need through necessity to shore up a, a bridging gap, then there will be a figure that will be arrived at, whether it's for Pars, Nakamara or whoever. So I think as Rangers fans, we need to be very, very realistic and we need to actually make our peace that we will sell players that we don't want to sell at different points in time. And ideally what you want to do is get a couple of years out of them, rinse a bit of success out of them and then say, on you go, their best wishes and, and take a check for them. Unfortunately, that's the model that our, our, our good friends across the city have been doing and we need to replicate it. It'd be a sore one to lose Parson. It really would because we had it with, in the past in a lesser fashion when we lost Lewis McLeod. Right? I'm not comparing the two, but at that point in time, he was our kind of golden light, the, the boy that came through the ranks, the one guy that we were watching that we had a bit of hope for and he was sold to keep the lights on back then. It's not quite the same now, but it's reality. We've really got to make our peace with it. We will be a selling club when the time is right. And sometimes it may be unpalatable and the more hysterical in their support that don't really have the context and I don't, don't blame them, they will they will react badly to it. And, and this might be the first test. This might be the one where we get offered 15 million for Nathan Parson and we say, you know what, let's cash in my ch- chips. Can we go and get another right back to replace Tavernier for some of that, a quarter, a third of that? Probably. So you've got to look at it in that context. And, and it's all about realism, perspective and our board, our board have done more than enough in terms of putting their hands in their own pockets. Are they willing to do it for another year? Who knows? They might be sitting there thinking, "We've got Champions League at the end of this; it's an automatic entry." That may be the last throw of the dice in terms of showing up funding gaps. I don't know. In terms of money, then Thursday is absolutely crucial. Adam, we travel to Armenia, take on Alish Kent in the the second leg. We are a goal up, of course. We can welcome back Glenn Kamara which is excellent, but it's a long, long way and it's very, very hot, 35 degrees. It looks as though the temperature of the game is going to be played in. I don't think Alice Kent looked a very good side at all at Ibrox, but they did limit Rangers to one goal. Admittedly, Rangers were down to 10 men for, for a full half, but even so, uh, Rangers were not good at all that night. And it's anyone thinking that it's just going to go over there and be a breeze, I think, might be in for a bit of a disappointment. I'd love it if it was, but I just don't see it. I think as we said, as we said about the the Ross County game, we were very very good um, in the opening exchanges, and we turned it on when we needed to 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 get done what we needed to get done. Um, I think if we approach this one in the same way, we don't need to go hell for leather at it. I think we can we can try and get a couple of early goals, absolutely fantastic. But if not, I think we we can possibly just do the same as we as we done. I think we seen that they were. Um, not great. Um, maybe not as as poor as we were expecting on the ball, but but when they came across the halfway line, even with ten men, they didn't really Nothing look like there. they were uh, that they had much. Goldson and Helland are just gobbled up everything that that was coming at us. Um, they also played this afternoon. Uh, they drew 0-0, I think it was uh, certainly the last time I checked. So they've got another twenty four hours on us in terms of um, 
or we've got 24 hours on them, sorry, in terms of, of rest and preparation, etc. So I think that's another advantage. Obviously, we've got the flight. Um, but th- th- they weren't great. Um, we weren't great. I think a couple of goals probably still would have been um, okay on the night in terms of how many chances we created. I'm, I'm expecting us to go over there and, and have a professional uh, away performance. I was going to reference Ufa, but hopefully it's not anywhere near as uh, as nervy as that in terms of, of the nine men, etc. But we need to go out and just get the job done with minimal fuss, I think, given what we've we've got coming at the weekend. Andy? It's a kind of fixture that gives me the fear, but it's an irrational fear. And um, I think if we go over there and, and kind of play in the same fashion as we did yesterday, then there should be no issues whatsoever. I mean, it's going to be really, really hot over there. But we are a fairly seasoned unit now in Europe, and therefore I'm hope well, no hoping I'm expect fully expecting us to, to to see it out. If we don't, <laughs> then uh, we deserve everything we get because there've been no excuses whatsoever. But let's not even think that way. Nah, you're totally right. I agree. I think we will do the job uh, on Thursday. We absolutely need to. Right, folks, that will do us for this week on the Heart and Hand flagship. Cammy will be back on extra later in the week. But of course, uh, if you want to hear more from us, and in fact, if you want the news stories as they happen, as opposed to waiting the next day for it to be in the paper, like the press conference yesterday, then go to patreon.com forward slash heart and hand, where from just one ninety nine per week, you will be able to hear all of us a lot more. My thanks then to our executive producers in London, Mike Lee and Paul Myers, and my thanks to Adam Thornton. Cheers, David. To Andy McGowan. Cheers, David. Cheers, Adam. And I'll talk to you this time next week. Till then, take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.